one idea of who God is. Just kind of a defined view of one of his character traits. You know, it's more than just saying, I know God is love. I know God is merciful. I know God is graceful, right? Which is good to know. But it's then more to take that to another level. Because God is loving, how does that affect my life? Because the creator of everything I know is full of mercy and grace, how does that affect how I treat other people? All right, let's uh, just take a moment in prayer just to kind of focus our minds on what is true. God, we are here for the next 45 minutes to focus on you. You are our priority, and we ask that you would overwhelm our minds and our emotions with your goodness so that way we can learn more of who you are so our lives can become more influenced and then, therefore, better off because of it. We love you. Amen. All right, so Abraham. Now, before we get into a story, and we're just going to look at four verses, really, we need some context. So the context of the Bible, the first 11 chapters, is that God creates a perfect world, right? That's the first two chapters. Man then steps into this perfect world, and he breaks it. He takes perfection, and he shatters it. Instead of God removing himself and running away from a rebellious creation, he steps directly back in to redeem it. That's the story of the entire Bible and all of human history, really. But that's a context that we need to know to understand these three verses. So Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, I'm going to call him Abraham. God changes his name like four chapters later. It's just simpler. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know, God directly steps into Abraham's life in this moment. Think about that. Creator of everything, approaching one man and giving him this promise. Now, I think he does this for two reasons. The first one, to pour out his goodness on Abraham, specifically Abraham. And we'll look at that. And to then pour out his goodness on the rest of humanity through Abraham. So I want to start with that big picture interaction that God does. You know, through blessing Abraham, God was going to bring his ultimate goodness to humanity. And we see that in the last verse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 1,800 years after this promise, God would interact with humanity by coming down, living among us, teaching us the way to be reconciled with our creator, laying down his own life so that that reconciliation could happen. This form of interaction was part of God's plan from the foundations of the world. We get this from 1 Peter chapter 1. If you wouldn't mind, Michael, thank you. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world. Focus in on that phrase. But was revealed at the end of the age for your sake. So God is sovereign. That means he's in complete control and he stands outside of time. He does not live within our, our state of, of being. Past, present, or future do not exist. He absorbs it all. And so he knew before he even made mankind 
what mankind would do to his perfect creation. He knew that we would break it, but he still made us anyway, planning to continually interact with us in our broken state so that we could be made whole. This is the entire Bible. God's pursuit of us so that we could be redeemed. You know, but tonight what I want to focus on is more specifically how God interacts with an individual, how he interacts with you, how he interacts with me through the story of Abraham. You know, in the initial part of his promise to Abraham, we see God drawing a man into his plan of reconciliation. If you wouldn't mind going back to Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you, Abraham, the individual, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. You know, God promises to enrich Abraham's life in tangible ways, specifically by giving him offspring. You know, in this point in Abraham's life, he's 70 70 years old, right? In chapter, in verse 4, we'll see he's 75. He dies at 175, so relatively speaking, from our perspective, He's in his 30s. He's in his prime. The time in which a person is moving into full ownership of his life, understanding what he or she wants, and having the ability and the resources to accomplish it It is one of the most opportune times of life. You know, and there's quite a few of us in this room that are in the middle of that time. But what Abraham truly wants, he is unable to provide for himself. You know, if you continue to read through Abraham's story, you find out that his wife, Sarah, is unable to bear children. You know, this is far more significant in our culture, or excuse me, in his culture than in ours. You know, one theologian put it this way, descendants represented the future. Children provided for their parents in old age and enabled the family line to extend another generation. In this culture, family was essential. It determined much of who a person was, showing their worth and paving their way for the future. Whatever family you were born into, that painted much of who you would become. Way different than what we live in. Abraham was the eldest son, and so the family heritage was passed directly to him. One of Abraham's major desires had to be to continue to enrich his family's value and then pass that on to his son. Without a direct heir, This would be passed on to a slave and his family would be cut off from the direct connection to the heritage that his dad had given him. So this really doesn't make much sense to us, right? It's such a different culture, but we have to understand that right now Abraham is locked in a world of loss. No matter how much he prospered, it ended with him. You know, he was unable to bring about what he truly wanted. Through God offering Abraham what he deeply desired, we see that God is not only enriching Abraham's life, making it better, but even more importantly, he's drawing him into a relationship. You know, this is God's ultimate goal with all of humanity, with you, me, everybody else, is to regain the originally intended relationship that he has for us. The one that we are created to be a part of, to be sons and daughters of the Most High. You know, it's interesting to note that God's pursuit of Abraham was more than just this one-time interaction. You know, according to Stephen, guy that was martyred in Acts 7, God gave these instructions to Abraham while he was still in the land of Chaldean. This is years and years prior to what we're reading about in Genesis 12. 
It seems as if God persistently pursued Abraham over years and years before Abraham was willing to obey. Even though Abraham was reluctant to follow, God continued to pursue him and to promise him things beyond his wildest dreams. You know, before we get to application, we're almost there. There's just one more thing you got to know about Abraham. In this, fast, in this passage, he is spiritually dead. He has not yet been redeemed. He is most likely worshiping other gods. If you look at the culture, you can see the different gods, the moon god and the various gods that that culture worshiped. Abraham was locked into that. He had no other option. This means that God reached out to a man that continued to live in rebellion, following false gods and rejecting his creator. And this speaks volumes about God, his character, and his desire for his creation. All right, let's move to us. So God does not change. It's such a key concept to understand. That's why the Bible is so applicable, because God does not change. Nor, in my opinion, does the root of humanity who we are at the core is the same that they same that they had at their core. So the way that God interacted with Abraham is the way that he interacts with us. So we are born into a fallen world with an inherent desire to be our own God, thus rejecting our own creator. We assume that we can create for ourselves that which we deeply desire, contentment and purpose. But the longer and harder we try to do this, the more we realize that it continually stays just out of reach. We always feel slightly discontent, wanting just a little bit more, and are restless in our pursuit of purpose, wishing we had something a little bit deeper and more fulfilling to do with our lives. You guys can relate to this, right? Instead of just letting us just drift further and further down the drain, Just like Abraham, God steps in offering us what we desire at the core of who we are. Now, God is a source of what is truly good. He is a spring from which contentment and purpose endlessly flow, and he desires for us to have those. So just like he did with Abraham, God breaks into our broken realities, offering us redemption from our incomplete lives. Let's look at some Bible. So that way you can see what I'm talking about. John 6:44 This is Jesus talking. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. And I will raise that person up on the last day. Paul writing to the people in Philippi, for he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. Now, suffering for him as well is a whole other topic, but what I want us to focus in on is he has granted you the privilege of believing in Christ. You know, in other words, the ability to believe in God is a gift from God himself. Think about that for a moment. The ability to believe that God exists and that Jesus was who he says he was is a gift from God himself. Apart from his direct interaction, we are unable to even have an ounce of faith. God is the source of all that is good. You know, for me, these verses speak of a God that prompts our hearts and our minds to come to him for what we truly desire. You know, this prompting comes in endless ways. You know, give me, I'll just give you a few broad examples. 
often within me and I'm guessing with you, there's this unsettledness deep within our soul, just this desire for more than what we have. There's just got to be something better or bigger or more fulfilling. Or we have an experience where God directly speaks to you through a verse or through somebody else where it just speaks directly into the core of who you are due to your circumstances. It's just, it's mind-blowing how much it speaks to you. Or there's times where one's emotions are overwhelmed by the feeling of love or joy in like an incomprehensible way. It makes no sense why I'm feeling this way, but I'm just brought to tears because I have so much joy inside of me. Or an individual comes into your life for a short time, it changes your perspective, and brings a new type of goodness to your life. And then they're gone. Or, even bigger, physical healing. You should have died. You should be paralyzed. You should not be able to talk in front of people due to a brain injury. Or, he grabs a hold of your mind and your emotion, and he releases you from addiction. Now, I know we have these stories in this room. Right, Mark? Right? There's so many of these here that just profess that God stepped into our brokenness and brought us hope. You know, I want to kind of share a story of a woman that was just a part of this church for like six months. She was down here for a little while and then ended up getting plugged in up the hill, um, basically like February through uh, August. Her name was Cassandra. And she was baptized in July, and she wrote kind of a testimony of why she was getting baptized. God grabbed a hold of my heart in February of this year when I made the decision to leave my family and move to Rapid City. I made the move to progress my career and, my, and gain experience. But the moment I arrived in Rapid City, God was ready and waiting to be my saving grace. My roommate and I spent countless hours talking about God and learning what religion really was and wasn't. She prepped my heart for what was to come. Two weeks later on a Sunday, I went to Rimrock by suggestion, and it was a pastor's story that moved me to dedicate myself to a relationship with God. Because I wanted this journey to also impact my children, I reached out to Rimrock looking for Bibles and children's books. That next Saturday at the exchange, Mike stopped me and asked, Are you Cassandra? This was just the beginning of my very rewarding walk with God. Through Mike and Dee and the multiple other people I've met along the way, my heart has been truly changed. You know, this is another example of who our creator is. Instead of abandoning a rebellious and broken creation, he steps into each one of our realities, giving us the opportunity to have what we deeply desire. I'll say it again, contentment and purpose, which can only come from the true source of life. The heart of God's interaction is to, for us, interaction with us, is to redeem us from the world of loss that we have created. God shows up at our doorstep in order to restore our relationship with the one who created all things. You know, what's incredible though, his pursuit does not stop after our souls have been redeemed. God's desire is to endlessly interact with each moment of our lives, showing us how to have an abundant life and giving us what we need to live that out. You know, in the same way that he initially engages our soul, he engages our redeemed lives. There's this term called holy discontentment. Maybe you guys have heard it. But this idea that within, within an individual is this discontentment that God gives you. Like, man, I just want more or my job isn't quite right, maybe I'm supposed to move on to something else, or this relationship isn't what I need, 
This is feeling that God puts into your soul that makes you long for more and move into more. You know, other times God makes our pursuit of idols obvious through personal convictions, the words of others, or natural consequences. You know, and idols are endless, whether it's pleasure or money, right? They just go on and on and on. The pursuit of self, God steps in and points out to us why we're pursuing the wrong thing. You know, often he gives us opportunities, sometimes out of the blue, to do what we've always wanted to do, but never dreamed we could. Or he calls us to walk away from the comfortable into the unknown by quitting our job, selling our house, moving. And there's people in this room that have done that recently. You know, even after our relationship with our creator has been restored in that redemption, God continues to pursue us so that we can experience a truly abundant life one full of contentment and purpose. You know, the creator of this world is far from distant or detached. That's a crucial thing you've got to understand. So what I'm seeing from this story, basically the entire Bible is that he is not distant and he is not detached. On the contrary, he's closer than our next breath and fully engaged with our lives from start to finish. He is the one that prompts us to desire redemption, and he is the one that continually reforms us into our original design. You know, there's one more piece of Abraham's story, though, that we got to look at. His obedience. You know, if you'd go to chapter 12, verse 4 in Genesis. Thank you. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. You know, it's so easy to gloss over this verse as it is so many other verses. So Abraham went, and on we go. But all of God's promises are contingent upon this. This is crucial to understand. Without obeying God's call, Abraham would have turned his back on a life of, full of hope and abundance. The goodness of God comes to those who are willing to follow his call. And for Abraham, this call was not easy. God is asking him to leave the security and comfort of family and his normal life and to go blindly into the unknown, trusting that God is faithful to provide. A God that he wasn't even raised to know. A God that doesn't even seem like he's ever interacted with. Who knows how Abraham was spoken to by God? You know, people believe that God was just audible back then, but now he's different. In my opinion, God speaks to him most likely in the same way he speaks to us. Whether it's through thoughts, whether it's through somebody else talking to him. So you can't just put Abraham in this realm of like mysticism where he's hearing from God himself. And so this call to move away, thousands of miles away from his family and everything that he was establishing into a land that he had never been to and he knew nobody in, right? There's no Walmarts, no gas stations to stop it as you go. He just launches into the unknown. All based on his trust that God would be faithful to give him what he says. You know, I love the way that the author of Hebrews puts it in 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By doing this, he received far more than he could have provided for himself due to God's faithfulness. You know, this contingency is true for us as well. In order to receive the ultimate benefits of God's interactions, 
we must be willing to obey, to step into the unknown. You know, the redemption of one's soul requires recognition of their brokenness and a belief that there is a God who came down to reconcile humanity. And this is definitely a step into the unknown. Those of us that grew up in a church or in the Christian culture don't think it's that big of a deal. But if you really break it down, the belief in the Bible and the God of the Bible and this unknown, this world that we can't even see, it's definitely a step out of what's normal, out of what's logical in our culture and into the unknown. You know, to continually be reformed, rejuvenated, made differently by the hand of our creator into something so much better often requires breaking away from our own logic emotions, and the influence of our culture to move away from what is comfortable and safe into the unknown. You know, beyond Abraham's story, if you just keep reading through the Bible, this seems to be how God does things. Character after character after character in the Bible. And I guarantee we all have, a lot of us in here have similar stories where God pushes you away from what's known into the unknown. You know, God calls people away from the comfortable and the unknown into the uncertain and the familiar. And you got to ask yourself, why? Why would the one who is sovereign over all these things, who could easily just give us like $200,000 in our bank account, right? A beautiful house, right? Total fulfillment, a job we love. The snap of a finger is why does he cause us to get these things? These good things, contentment and purpose through stepping into the unknown. You know, what I see from this story is that by doing this, God forces people to trust him. To trust that he will provide what he has promised. Trust that he is good and that he knows what is best. Out of trusting God comes a genuine relationship with the almighty maker of heaven and earth a relationship through which will come contentment and purpose. Again, he is the source of all that is good. Contentment and purpose that last will only come from him and him alone. You know, wherever you are in your faith journey, God is most likely in some form or other calling you away from what is easy and comfortable into a place of trusting him and him alone. Through obedience, you will eventually see the goodness that he alone can bring to your life. You know, this is our God, and this is our choice. Pray with me, please. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us through scripture and through experience. Thank you for stepping into our brokenness in order to bring wholeness, to bring your goodness. God, I ask that you would just put onto our minds individually right now what you are calling us to do, whether that's initial salvation or that sanctification, you reforming us. Just in the next, I don't know, five minutes, five hours, whatever, just convict us, point it out, make it obvious what you are calling us to do, how you are calling us to act, what you want us to become. So that way we have the opportunity to obey and to receive your goodness yet again.